Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. For those of you who haven't met yet, I'm Pastor John, Senior Pastor here at Stonebridge. And last few weeks, we've been going through this sermon series entitled Intended for Good, looking at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And we're coming up towards the end of that sermon series. Just a few more weeks here looking at Joseph. And today, we get to look at really the climactic scene here in Joseph's story. The scene that most everything else has been building up to here. This is the moment when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. So I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15, and I invite you to hear the word of God. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept them wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this word. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example. We thank you for the way you worked in Joseph's life. And we thank you for the way your character and your grace are revealed in him in this moment with his brothers, Lord. We thank you that in this moment from this story being passed down to us, We can get a glimpse of who you are and who you call us to be. So Lord, guide us now through this passage. May your Holy Spirit teach each and every one of us, deepen our understanding of what it means to follow you. Lord, speak to us now for your servants are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So like I said, we're getting to the climactic moment here in Joseph's story. This is really what most everything has been building up to in this story. If you remember, everything for Joseph began when he had two dreams that told him that he was going to eventually rule over his brothers. That caused his brothers to be jealous of him. So they first wanted to take his life, but then they decided to sell him into slavery instead of just taking his life. It's now those very brothers that Joseph is confronting here. Those brothers who all those years ago sold him into slavery, tried to get rid of him. Now Joseph is the one who is powerful. Joseph is the one who is in charge. And they're coming to Joseph just as the dream told them all what happened. They're bowing down before Joseph. Think about all that Joseph's brothers have cost him to this point. Think about all that they would owe him. Think about everything they took from him with their decision. Yes, things worked out for Joseph in the end here, but they took Joseph away from the father who loved him. They took him away from the land that he had grown up in, from the home that he had been raised in. They took him away from everything that he knew. They sold him into slavery, taking years and years of his life. Joseph ends up in prison there because Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him, struggling, suffering. Years and years they have taken away from Joseph. So many different opportunities have been robbed of Joseph. And his brothers did that. And now Joseph is in this moment where he is the one who's powerful. He is the one who's in charge. And his brothers are standing there before him. I don't know how you would respond in that moment. Joseph does mess with them a little bit. He makes them think that they stole something that they didn't really steal. And they get nervous about that. It brings them back when they think they're going home. He messes with them a little bit right before this. But by and large, what we see here in Joseph's response is one that I don't know if I could bring myself to. This is a moment of profound forgiveness. Now, the word forgiveness isn't used there specifically, but that's the word we use for what Joseph is doing here. It's almost like he's worked through it already. He's already has forgiven his brothers in this moment. But this is one of the most profound moments of forgiveness that I can think of in all the Bible. Somebody who could take revenge. Somebody who could have paid back what is owed to him. But instead, he says to them, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be distressed at what you did. This is one of the most profoundest moments of forgiveness I can think of in the Bible. Forgiveness, though, is one of those themes that comes up over and over again in the Bible. We talk about it at Stonebridge here pretty regularly because the Bible talks about it pretty regularly. You're not going to get very far until you see forgiveness being a theme in the Bible. And the way the Bible talks about forgiveness and the way we talk about forgiveness, it's really a financial metaphor. I mean, forgiveness, first and foremost, comes from the idea of owing somebody money 
And then they say, you no longer owe me money. Forgiving a debt. We understand that as much. And you can see how it's taken on an emotional component to it. The idea of forgiveness. Somebody does something wrong to you, and now they owe you something. It's not necessarily money anymore, but they owe you some sort of way of trying to make it right. Some sort of debt to you. But you say to them, you no longer owe me anything. That's the way the Bible portrays God's forgiveness of us. If you go and you look at the Psalms and other places, every time that we sin, it's like there's a ledger and our debt gets added to that ledger. But God erases the ledger. There's no more accounting of sin anymore. Forgiveness at its root is a financial metaphor. But at its core, it's talking about that idea of people no longer owing you anything. And that's why I say here in this story with Joseph, what we see is forgiveness here. Because Joseph is saying to them, don't feel angry with yourselves. Don't feel distressed. It's okay. They don't owe Joseph anything more in that moment. So that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about forgiveness. That's the basic idea there. And the thing is, forgiveness isn't just a common theme. It's also one of the most important themes in the Bible. And there's any number of reasons I could give for you for why forgiveness is so important. I mean, we all know, I think, that forgiveness isn't just important for the people we would forgive, but it's important for ourselves as well. Letting go of anger and resentment and not letting your life be defined by anger and resentment, that is important. It's hard to follow Jesus when anger and resentment are what drive you. But I think even deeper than that, the reason, importance, the reason forgiveness is so important has nothing to do with the benefits we receive from it, though they are good benefits. The reason forgiveness is so important is simply because it is core to God's character. Almost every single revelation that we see of God in the Bible eventually comes back to the fact that God is forgiving, that God doesn't hold things against us, that the almighty, all-powerful God who created all of the cosmos forgives us for the silly, selfish, harmful things that we do. When you look at Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 2, it begins on a note of forgiveness. Jesus heals a man who has a physical ailment, but what he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. And that starts the conflict that will lead to Jesus being crucified. Because right away he's accused of blasphemy, which tells us how close the idea of forgiveness is to the character of God in the Bible. That Jesus portrays himself as the one who can forgive sins, but that is God and God alone. So he's accused of blasphemy. That's how closely intertwined forgiveness and God are. And then it's also commonly understood that when you're looking at the New Testament, at the cross is where we see the character of God most clearly. The cross and the resurrection. And there on the cross, as Jesus is dying, as he's being mocked, he's being tormented, he has just been tortured, the very people who have killed him are now laughing at him. What we have on the cross in Luke chapter 23 is a moment of forgiveness. 
Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In that moment, the heart of God is revealed and the heart of God is forgiveness. This is a central character trait of God. And I don't think we need anything more than that to say that forgiveness is important. And if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow the God of the Bible, then forgiveness is the call that's placed on your life also. Forgiveness isn't something that's necessarily optional. It's part of following Jesus. Letting people go of the things that you think they owe you is part of following Jesus. So forgiveness is important, but it's also incredibly difficult. And we have to acknowledge that. The real type of forgiveness, not just brushing something under the rug, not just avoiding a certain topic, not being so afraid of conflict that you can't bring it up. Real forgiveness of acknowledging that somebody wronged you, that by all rights, they should owe you a debt, but then saying to them, you don't actually owe me anything, that is difficult. That is hard to get to that place. There's a theologian named Miroslav Volf. He wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace a few decades ago. And this book focuses on the idea of reconciliation, and central to that is the idea of forgiveness. And he talks about why forgiveness is hard. But when Miroslav Volf is writing about forgiveness, it's not just an abstraction. He's not just talking about forgiveness as a vague idea or a happy, fuzzy concept. Because from his own life story, he had to work through how to forgive people. And when he talks about why forgiveness is hard, he knows firsthand. Miroslav Volf is Croatian. So when Yugoslavia fell apart in the 90s, Serbian nationalists came in to towns where his friends and his family lived and murdered people he loved. When the ethnic cleansing started to take place, in the former Yugoslavia. He lost people to Serbian nationalists, Serbian nationalists. This book that he writes is him reflecting on, as a Christian, how do you come to the place of actually forgiving somebody at that level? It's hard. Forgiveness is difficult. He identifies two reasons that forgiveness is so difficult. The first of those is one that I think would be obvious to many of us. It's that as human beings, oftentimes we have a desire for revenge. That when somebody harms you, you want to get back at them. You want them to hurt. You feel pain, so you want them to feel a similar pain. You don't want them to get away with what they've done. You want them to hurt also. That's not the best of human emotions, but it is a human emotion, and it is natural. And it's something that, if we're honest, I think most of us, if not all of us, feel that at some point. You just want the people who are doing terrible things to feel the pain that they've caused also. You want revenge. That's the easier reason for us to say, okay, let's just not listen to that desire of the reasons that Miroslav Volf gives. But the second reason is a little harder. The second reason Miroslav Volf gives for why forgiveness is so hard is because of our desire for justice. And justice is different than revenge. 
Revenge is wanting to get back at somebody. Justice is wanting something to be made right in our own heads. But what Wolf brings up and why forgiveness becomes so hard is that we can't enact justice ourselves. As human beings, we cannot enact perfect, pure justice. Because what Wolf brings up, the, the, the point here, is that we can't undo the horrible things that have happened to us. That we can't make things perfectly right in this world because we don't get to go back in time and undo the things that we've done to others or undo the things that people have done to us. Now, we know God has that power. We know that someday God will somehow make everything right. Justice will reign. But anything we try to accomplish as humans before the point that Jesus returns is going to fall short. And too often, it'll start teetering over into revenge, into wanting to just get back at people. In that moment, Wolf says, when we recognize that justice isn't something we can ever enact perfectly ourselves, he says the next best thing is forgiveness. And that forgiveness is actually the closest picture we have of the justice that God will enact. And it's not perfect, the forgiveness that we offer one another. But it gives us a glimpse of what God is doing. Forgiveness, Wolf says, is the next best thing to justice and the best picture that we get of justice. So forgiveness is important. It's critical for following Jesus. And it's also a deep, deep challenge to actually forgive someone. So how do we do this? How do we practice forgiveness? I think this is where Joseph's story can guide us. There are some aspects to Joseph's story that I think highlight how Joseph was able to get in that moment where he could forgive his brothers what they had done to him. Where he not only responds with not anger, not resentment, and not just saying it's okay, but he takes care of them. He makes sure that they're cared for. He's telling them that there's land he's going to give them. He's going to settle them, that they're all going to be taken care of throughout this famine. How does Joseph get to that point? One of the ways I think Joseph gets to that point is that he had that dream at the beginning, and throughout all of this, he was able to trust in God's plan. And I think trusting in God's plan makes it easier to forgive others. Now, when I say trusting in God's plan, I'm not saying that God causes everything to happen. I don't think that God caused everything that happened in Joseph's story. And I've said that a few times, and I'm going to re re repeat that. God doesn't cause terrible human decisions where we harm one another. That's not what God is working in here. What God is doing instead is taking those terrible decisions, taking those horrible ones, and working through them to bring an outcome that is good. That's why Joseph is able to say to his brothers, God sent me down here before you did anything. God sent me down here so that this famine could be addressed. God had this plan through Joseph's life to make sure that people in Egypt weren't going to die needlessly. And trusting in that plan makes it easier for us as we go along to forgive others the horrible things that they do. Trusting in God's plan 
makes forgiveness easier. It doesn't make it easy. It just makes it easier, I think. That's the first thing I would mention here. The second thing is, I think resting in God's forgiveness makes us forgiving others easier also. The truth is, every single one of us needs to be forgiven by God. We come here every single week during worship. We offer a prayer of confession of sins, asking for God's forgiveness that Lee leads us through, because that is simply what we have to do. Being forgiven is part of our identity. And the more central you make that as part of your identity, the more you acknowledge that you are forgiven, the easier it becomes to forgive others. Because at the end of the day, we all come from the same place, tainted by sin, sadly harming people we care about, doing thoughtless things, sometimes maybe intentional things, sadly, to hurt others. Given into our worst desires, we are humans We all are in need of God's forgiveness. And resting in that forgiveness, understanding that as part of our identity, makes it easier to extend forgiveness to others also. So I think resting in God's forgiveness is critical. But then viewing others the way that God views them. To me, that's one of the keys to being able to forgive others. And you see that here in Joseph's story. When Joseph's brothers are standing before him, he doesn't view them as attempted murderers. He doesn't view them as slave traders, though both of those terms would apply to them. That's not the way Joseph sees them. Instead, he recognizes that these are people who made a terrible decision, but God still worked that decision to bring a good outcome. He's able to see them closer to the way God would see them. And that makes it easier to forgive recognizing that every single one of us is broken and that we all act out of brokenness, but that God still loves each and every one of us, that God still reaches out to each and every one of us, that God still forgives each and every one of us. Seeing others the way God sees them changes our perspective and makes it easier for us to forgive them the things that they've done. Again, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier, I think. That's why in that moment on the cross, Jesus is able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's able to look around at the people around him and say they are ignorant. They don't understand what is happening. And that's true for anyone who has harmed us. That's true for ourselves as well. We are all broken and recognizing that makes it easier to forgive. But there is one other important piece to Joseph's story here. Whenever we talk about forgiveness, it's important to remember, forgiveness does not mean letting someone continue to harm you. Part of the reason I think Joseph is able to forgive his brothers is that they are in no position to hurt him anymore. He's now actually the one in charge. They can't do anything to him. He's not going to let them hurt him. And putting boundaries in place does not mean you haven't forgiven somebody. If you're in some sort of relationship where you are being harmed or you are being hurt, letting that person continue to do that is not forgiveness. That's not good for you. That's not good for them. That's not making anything right. That's just increasing a debt that they would owe. 
That's just furthering a cycle of violence and harm and hurt. And that isn't forgiveness. Boundaries are actually critical to get into a place where you can forgive someone. Making sure that they're not going to continue to harm you is important. Forgiveness is about not holding somebody to past actions. But you can also prepare for the future and make sure somebody's not going to continue to hurt you, which you should do. So if somebody is harming you or somebody is hurting you, seek help. Don't let that continue. And if they start saying that they need to, or that you need to forgive them and that letting them do whatever they want is forgiveness, that's not true. And don't listen to that. You can have boundaries in place and still have forgiven somebody for the past things they've done. Joseph models forgiveness here. And as such, I think he gives us a picture of the character of God and how we can help others understand the character of God. By trusting in God's plan, by resting in God's forgiveness, by seeing others the way God sees them, we can get to a place where we can forgive people what we've been holding against them, and we can reveal God's character to them so they can understand that they are loved and that God's forgiveness is extended to them also. I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have some sort of friendship, some sort of family relationship, something in our lives that we haven't been able to let go of, that we haven't been able to cancel that debt and to forgive. May Joseph's example spur us to be able to extend that forgiveness so we can see healing and reconciliation in our lives and so we can see God's character and reveal God's character clearly. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example here. We know that forgiveness is not easy. We know that in that moment, Lord, when Joseph is standing there in front of his brothers, he could have responded any number of ways. Any number of ways that we could have looked at and said that he was responding in a just way. But Lord, instead of that, he chose forgiveness. Instead of holding a debt against his brothers, he sought to take care of his brothers to make sure they were okay in the midst of this famine. Lord, help us to extend the same forgiveness to others. Help us to know when it's appropriate to do so. Help us to know how it is appropriate to do so. But help us to extend that same forgiveness, Lord. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, let us reveal your character to others in that way.
Comes like a flood, comes flow. 